welcome. This is a What If I Told You podcast, a show that is out here minding its own business, living its villain origin story. Yeah. Pretty much. I feel like that's what I want to be doing perpetually. You're not honked. Yeah. Jesus, I'm not taking that out. I don't have time <laughs> for shit like that. Ridiculous. Who's out here honking on fucking... Well, I'm not going to name the street, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is my full address. <sighs> Oof. It's people, people Thursday. Really well, that's probably why people are honking. Because it's Thursday and they're getting a little wild. Because a lot of people have Friday off. Well, those people are bitches. Yeah. I want to have Friday off. Yeah, we don't have Fridays off. Yeah. Yet. That's right. It's coming. It's coming in our future that we will have Friday. Well, we will have every day away from corporate America. Monday through Sunday. That's right. When you think of the week starting, do you think of it starting on Sunday or Monday? Um, maybe a little bit of both. Mm. Because I prep for the week on Sunday. Okay. So, like, I meal prep, like, breakfast and lunch for five days. Sometimes right. I do it for just me. Sometimes I make Dakota's lunch, too. Just depends. That makes sense. Yeah. So, it's, like, Sunday is, I don't know, like, the penultimate day. I guess. It probably is for a lot of people that are responsible like you and do those sorts of things. (laughs) Dude, I have to. Yeah, I just suffer through it. (laughs) Like, work, whenever we worked at the court, it wasn't, it wasn't necessary because even on days I would bring my lunch, like, Amy and Mary always wanted to go to lunch, and I am very susceptible to persuasion like that. Yeah. So I'll always be like, of course I want to go to lunch with you. <laughs> but whenever I worked at your current place of business, there's really nothing around. Yeah. Like, no. conveniently located. So... I would like to say the last time I tried to, like, eat out on my lunch, I went to Taco Bell. And I got, you can't, like, exit their drive through once you're there. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we're accepting cash only. Do you still want to order? And I was like, well, I don't have any cash. What place of business in 2022 is only accepting cash? Yeah, so then I had to sit behind three other cars to get out of the Taco Bell line. And that was, like, my entire lunch break. Yeah. I was like, cool. Yeah, it's really not. Yeah, around that area, there's not, like, a conveniently... Because it's in an industrial park. Right. So there's nothing around. No. So I had to get in the habit of meal prep yeah. and taking my lunch. And so now I'm just in the habit. Yeah, that's a good habit to be in. Yeah, even though I work in Lenexa, literally across the street from multiple things. Yeah. But it's also, like, a money-saving thing. I don't need to be spending $10 every day for lunch. That's silly. Yeah, I really feel like, well, I hate McDonald's, so Taco Bell is really the only place you can eat for, like, under 10 bucks for lunch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just, sometimes I'll, I'll 
be really hungry for lunch and I'll think to myself I'll just run through McDonald's and get like a McDouble and a fry but McDonald's makes me feel like absolute garbage after I eat it so mm-hmm. it's unfortunate it really depends on the day for me honestly but I also don't eat McDonald's like I mean once every six months maybe yeah I also don't because I hate it I do like their breakfast but I don't yeah I don't get their breakfast yeah so yeah you know it's I wouldn't have to worry about the shit if I you know worked from my house right I'm working on it working on it um but we are going to be eating dinner at the conclusion of this evening I'm so stoked uh Dakota decided he wanted to grill because he has a fancy grill and has been traveling a lot so he hasn't been able to use it and so he's making us dinner Mm. like a precious precious human i can't wait because i was gonna have a toaster strudel for dinner (laughs) (laughs) and well i love a a good toaster strudel i do too um it's not really a good like dinner food no it's not really a meal it's more of a snack it's a dessert or yeah yeah yeah, it's a dessert. It's the follow-up. It's like what you eat while you're watching the Great British Baking Show, just to feel, like, involved. Yeah, that's true. You got some pastry, some filling. I haven't watched the Great British Baking Show in a long time. Yeah, I usually watch it, like, if I'm still awake at midnight or 1 a.m., just to feel a little comfort and also sleepy. It is a really, really good show to fall asleep to. Yeah. Because, like, it's really soothing. The music is very soothing. The voices. The, the British accents. Yeah. It just lulls you right into a real sense of security. Yeah. Not in, like, a bored way. Just, like, a I feel safe here way. Exactly. Exactly. Because you can't turn on a TV show that you enjoy and, like, engage with. Right. Because, like, you know, I can't turn on Gilmore Girls or The Office or I will stay up and <laughs> keep watching it. But, you know. I have a movie review to share. Literally breaking news just now. It's Whitney and Caleb. Okay. They went to see Black Phone. Okay, yes. I've been interested in this. It looks creepy. Whitney said, it was good, clever, and original. Caleb said, Plenty creepy and was refreshing to see something different. I will be owning it once it comes out on Blu-ray. That's promising. Okay. They took today and tomorrow off. Well, I mean, they've been working there for 49 years, so. Yeah. Was I a little upset? Yes, I was. (laughs) I all day have, not all day, all week have thought it was a day before like I really thought today was Friday yesterday I thought it was Thursday type deal mm-hmm. I don't even remember what black phone is supposed to be about that's what it's called isn't it yeah I think so yeah I mean I didn't really like look into it I just saw the trailer you know there's a person in a mask and a kid in a room with a dirty mattress and a phone Oh, yeah. So. It's that, coming back to me. That's that really. sounds promising. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. 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 Well, I guess we should get into it. Yeah. Please check out our social channels, which is Instagram and Facebook, since they're linked. 
Yep. What if I told you pod? And the TikTok is non-existent. We're just going to stop talking about it for now. Yeah. You can also email us at whatifitoldyoupodcast at gmail.com and have a little chat with us. Yeah, you can. We'll sift through all the fucking Google alerts we get that mean nothing to us. And um, all the random Reddit emails we get. I don't know why we get Reddit emails, to be honest. Yeah, and New York Times. Um, I mean, I do use the New York Times in my research, but I've never subscribed to yeah. their emails. They're just tracking us. They're tracking our activities. Please go buy our merch. That'd be real cool of you. Yeah, do that. I've already lost the Chip's basement, so please let me get back in here. Um, for Chip's basement today, we were talking about the National Archives a couple episodes ago. And he has a friend who has this sort of information. And the National Archives are 90% available to the public. So that's a lot. I wonder what's in the 10%. Yeah. We talked about this in our Majestic 12 episode, which I would assume is probably in the 10%. Yes. Since they deny that it exists. The 10% is just alien information. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Has to be. Alien, Loch Ness Monster, Mothman, that kind of thing. Yeah, whatever else they're aware of that they don't want people to know. Yeah. Yeah, how to resurrect people, clones. Right. You know, the cure for cancer. Yeah. They have it in there. They do. Zombie stuff. Yeah. It's almost zombie season, you guys. It is. It'll be August when this episode airs. Right? Yeah. Damn, dude. Yeah. I mean, it's the... What is today? The 28th? So... Yeah. Basically, August now, in just a couple of days. This month has flown by, but also felt like the longest month ever. I feel like it's just been so fast, unbelievably fast, actually. Fast and hot. Yeah, unbearably hot, but yeah. There's light at the end of the tunnel. Yes, the last few days have been actually really nice. Yeah. I mean, the humidity has been like 98%, but that's fine. Yeah. Uh, I think Monday was like the best day. Yeah. I wore this on Monday and felt fine. Yeah, Monday was the best day. Yeah. Um, well. Okay. We have gathered you here today to talk about a missing person case. Yes, we have. A very, very weird one it's like i know that people go on and on about more murray and all the like weird things about more murray's case but this one is actually weirder and the other weird thing is that this is being released close to her birthday yeah we're releasing this on august 2nd which is also my grandma's birthday happy birthday grandma and uh, her name is Asia Degree. That's the missing person we're covering today, as you know from the title. Uh, Asia Degree was born August 5th. So 
this episode's coming out just three days before her birthday. She would have been 32. God damn. I know. Or maybe is 32. We don't know. Oh, that's true. So, I don't know how we keep doing this. We have managed to coincide our coverage of cases with either the anniversary of the case or the birthday of the victim. We're haunted. That's the only explanation. We can only hope that that's true. Um, So, in preparation for this case, I just, I listened to so many podcasts on this case this week. Because a lot of a lot of podcasts have covered it. Yeah. So you can find coverage out there. I would personally recommend the Prosecutors Podcast. They do two episodes on it. Um, I th- it's like right in the middle of their catalog. So not at the beginning of the show, not at like the le- most recent episodes, but right in the center. They do two episodes. They, they do good coverage on anything that they talk about, but I mean, they are attorneys, so. Right. That's kind of what they do. Um, Missing with Tim and Lance, they did Missing More Murray's podcast. Uh, They have just Missing, where they cover other cases they talk about. This one on episode 226. Um, True Crime Garage does a double episode on this. And Voices for Justice, which is hosted by Sarah Turney, the sister of Alyssa Turney, Mm -hmm. who is also Missing. But I think Alyssa Turney has been pronounced legally deceased because apparently in 2020 her dad Michael Turney was charged with her murder and this information just went completely unknown yeah which is weird super weird I mean we heard about Alyssa's case 2015 and all of a sudden I just stumble across this information that two years ago yeah they made a charge in the case very weird yeah made me feel um a little dumb because i didn't know well but also i wasn't seeking the information so yeah and we're not signed up for a google alert on a list attorney yeah Yeah. no you're not (laughs) but um anyway yeah all these shows are doing different things with the case so go listen to their shit um, oh, I did put a little blurb in here from a blog. It's called the Find Asia Degree blog. Their website will obviously be linked in our notes. Uh, this is how they describe this case. Uh, Asha Degree, what I keep, her name is Asha in my brain, but I know that it is pronounced Asia. Yeah, it just looks like Asha. I think it's because there's a Game of Thrones character named Asha. Oh. There's Asha and Osha. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, because in the show they combine those characters and they name her Yara. Oh. Oh. But. Okay. Yeah. Makes so much sense. Oh. That's a whole rabbit hole. Anyway. Asha Degree was a happy, loved nine-year-old girl who on a stormy February 14th, 2000, disappeared in the pre-dawn hours from her longtime home in Shelby, North Carolina. Despite ground, air, and canine searches, 
no one other than two motorists who later called in a possible sighting of Aisha had any clues for authorities. It's believed Aisha left on her own accord and walked alone along Highway 18, a full 1.3 miles from her home during a raging rainstorm. No one knows what happened to Aisha from the moment she left her home. Fucking crazy. Yeah. So that's a blurb from the Find Asia Degree blog. And now we're going to tell you literally everything else. Yeah. So Asia Jaquila Degree was born August 5th, 1990. Um, her parents, Harold and... Aquila degree were married on Valentine's Day in 1988 and their son O'Brien was born a year later and then Aisha was born in 1990. They raised both of their children in their home on Oak Crest Drive in a residential subdivision amidst a generally rural area um, north of Shelby, North Carolina on the western edge of the Charlotte metropolitan area. Both of Aisha's parents worked regular jobs nearby, and um, the children let themselves in after school, which was a typical latchkey kid scenario of the 1990s. It would have been nice to be raising children during a time that you really didn't have to be that paranoid about them getting off the bus by themselves. Yeah, I know. Like, it sounds... Because she was nine at the time, and her brother was ten, so it seems like, oh my god, they were letting themselves in, but I mean, I was yeah. at that age. Yeah. Just, you know, with three younger siblings, like, no big deal. Yeah. It was just normal then. Yeah. Uh, so... They always made sure that their children were insulated from outside influences and had a life centered around their extended family and their church and the school. They did not have a computer in the house. Um, and Aisha's mom said, every time you turned on the TV, there was some pedophile who had lured someone's child away via the internet. And she said that during a interview in 2013. Which is, I mean, true. It's still true today. Yeah. It, I mean, it's probably happening more now because everyone has the internet. Yeah. In 2000, you know, I think a lot of people in this case do make a big deal of the fact that they didn't have a computer or internet at home. But in 2000, I didn't. No. You know, none of my parents... I have had four parents. None of them had internet or a computer. I don't think we had internet at home until I was in high school. I don't even think we had more than five channels until I was, like, in middle school. Yeah. I mean, it was, like, off and on throughout my youth that, you know, sometimes we'd have satellite and then we wouldn't for a while and we would just have regular channels yeah. or watch four, movies. Five, nine. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, you know, up and down in that respect, so... Yeah, I don't think that's weird at all. I don't either. So Aquila said that Aisha handled this well, and whoa, this just randomly slipped. It's because we're haunted. And that's the Nightmare Before Christmas statue I have, so. Sheesh. 
So Aisha's mom said that she was cautious, shy, and content mostly to stay within the limits that her parents set for her. And she also said that she was scared to death of dogs. And uh, she never thought that she would go out of the house. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Aisha was in fourth grade at nearby Falston Elementary School, going into a three-day weekend on the second week of February in 2000. The Cleveland County schools were closed on Friday, February 11th. While the degrees still had to work, the children spent the day at their aunt's house in the same neighborhood from which they went to their youth basketball practices at their school. The following day, February 12th, um, Aisha's basketball team, on which she was a star point guard, lost for the first time that season. Aisha had fouled out and her parents recalled that she was somewhat upset about this and she was crying along with her teammates afterwards, but she seemed to have gotten over it and then watched her brother's game after her game. Yeah. I feel like that's, I mean, normal, you know? Yeah. Your team loses. So Especially at that age. Yeah. I mean, emotions are heightened. It was, you know, they'd been winning the whole season and then to lose kind of, you know. Yeah. And Aisha may have thought that it was a little bit her fault because she fouled out and she was kind of the star of the team. Right. Agreed. I don't really know what point guard is, not being a basketball person, but sounds important. It does. So that night after both games, Aisha attended a sleepover at her cousin's house and... Her cousin, Katina, who was 15, was the leader of the group this night. There were a ton of Aisha's cousins there, and they all stated that Aisha was her usual self at the sleepover, and they hung out and even danced as a group. These same cousins would be heavily involved in the search for Aisha just a day later. Well, that's a real sad. Yeah. Okay, so now we're to the day of her disappearance. On February 13th, which was Sunday, the children, Aisha and O'Brien, went to church from their cousin's house. And I think her extended family and her parents, they all kind of went to the same church. So... Her aunt and cousins took them to church, and then that's where her parents picked them up. So after church, she goes back home with her mom, dad, and brother. And around 8 p.m., both children went to bed in the room that they shared. About an hour after they went to bed, the power went out in the entire neighborhood after a car accident. But it was also storming really heavily this night. So it could have been, I don't know, maybe both things happening. I don't know. The power came back on around 1230, and it was about this time that Harold checked on the kids. He saw both Aisha and O'Brien asleep in their beds. He checked again shortly before he went to bed at about 230 on February 14th and saw both still tucked into their beds. Shortly after... This second check, O'Brien, who was 10 at the time, recalls that he heard Aisha's bed squeak, but didn't, like, 
open his eyes or look around or get up because he just thought that either Aisha was changing positions in her sleep or getting up to use the bathroom. At 5.45 a.m., Aquilo got up and was getting herself ready in order to get the kids up and ready for school. And this is February 14th, uh, again. And this is an important day, not just because it's Valentine's Day, which most schools kind of have like a Valentine's party or whatever, Mm -hmm. but this is also Aquila and Harold's wedding anniversary. Right. So... Maybe they had plans. It's not really clear if they had plans or whatever, but at least being with your family on the wedding anniversary kind of makes sense. So, um, Aquila was getting, she got up a little earlier than usual because she needed to bathe both the kids because she didn't the night before due to the power outage. And she went into the kids' room to wake them up Right around 6.30, O'Brien was in his bed and Aisha was not. Aquila looked through her entire house, couldn't find Aisha. Aisha was not in it, their cars. And so she wakes up Harold and tells him Aisha's gone. And he suggested that maybe she had gone across the street to his mom's house. So Aquila called over there. And her sister-in-law said Aisha was not there. And at this point is when she's panicking. She's checked with the family. She's looked on the entire house. She's looked in the cars. Nothing. So she, at this point, puts on her shoes and runs outside. And calls her own mom, who then tells her, Aisha's not here. Call the police. Yeah. So, Harold is eventually the one who calls the police. So, all of this is happening in a a matter of minutes because she had woken them up just before 6.30. Or went in to wake them up just before 6.30. And by 6.40, the police are there. Yeah. Like, that is a quick-ass turnaround. Yes, it is. So, now we're getting into the search phase. So... The first police officers arrived on scene around 6.40. And more officers would trickle in throughout the morning. Uh, So you have the Shelby police. You have the county police. Those are the two agencies that are on scene at this point. And police dogs are called to the scene. They couldn't pick up Asha's scent. And Aquila went through the neighborhood calling Asha's name, Asha's name. I swear, I will train my brain. She went through the neighborhood calling Asha's name. And she said at this point she had awakened everyone in the neighborhood by around 7. And so at this point, friends, family, neighbors canceled their plans for the entire day to assist the police in searching the area while the pastor of the church along with other clergymen of the area i guess came to the degrees home to support them and by the end of the day all that had been found was a mitten which aquila said did not belong to asia 
and noted that no winter clothing had been taken from the house. Okay. So it's February, and it's Asia is not in her winter clothes. Yeah. And it's raining. And it, yeah, it's raining. God, it's probably cold as shit out there. Yeah. Um, local news coverage obviously picked this story up and they're running it. It's, this is kind of before the Amber Alert situations, Mm -hmm. but they're still putting her name out there to keep the Metro aware that this little girl's missing. And this prompted two drivers who had seen Aisha walking along the road early that morning to call police and report their sightings. So we'll talk more about those two motorists later, but they saw her on the local news and called. So it is really, that just shows it's important to continue to cover cases of missing people because some random person could just happen to be listening or watching and be like, hey. I was around that area. I saw something weird. Yeah. You just never know. You just never know. On February 15th, candy wrappers were found in a shed at a nearby business called Turner Upholstery. Uh, This shed was located kind of along the highway where Asia, I almost just said April. (laughs) (laughs) The shed was located kind of near where Asia had been seen by one of the motorists, or by both motorists, Um, along with the candy wrappers. There was a pencil, a marker, and a Mickey Mouse-shaped hair bow, and these items were all identified as belonging to Asia. Also, with these belongings police found a photograph of a black girl around Aisha's age who has not been identified to this day has not been identified and this is the only these items in this shed are the only trace of Aisha that was found during the initial search they don't find any other items like along the trail that could be traced back to her just these so the photograph of the girl was like what you would get when you order school photos yeah so it's like a wallet sized clearly school photo the girl is posed she's wearing like her picture day outfit her hair is like all fixed very it's picture day kind of situation. And this girl did not go to Asia's school. None of the friends or family or church members recognized who this girl in this picture was. So random. So random. And police have yet to identify who the girl in this picture is. (laughs) So that's like incredibly weird. Yeah. Oh yeah. And obviously we're going to talk more about this because It clearly holds answers. Mm -hmm. So, think keep keep the photo in your back pocket. Okay, so now we're to February sixteenth. So two days 
Asia has been missing. Aquila realizes that Asia's room was missing her favorite clothing that included a pair of blue jeans with a red stripe. I'm guessing a red stripe down the side. Yeah. Um, a week later, the search was called off after 9,000 man hours had been invested into the search of the two to three mile radius of where she had been last seen. Flyers had been posted all over the area, and 300 leads had been submitted that ranged from possible sightings to tips about abandoned houses and wells where Asia might have or could have ended up. Um, and the county sheriff, Dan Crawford, said the following at a news conference, quote, we have never really had that first good substantial lead, end quote. And he followed up by urging the media to keep the story alive. Thank God. Yep. All right. So now we're going to talk about what police think happened. So around 2.30 a.m., which would have been almost right after her dad checked on her and her brother, um, she got out of bed took a black book bag she had previously packed with several sets of clothes and personal items and left the house. Um, not really sure how they knew that she packed a bag before this time, but maybe it's the lack of noise that her brother would have heard if she was, like, putting a bag together. Right. Once she leaves the house, she apparently begins walking south along Highway 18, and we think this would have been in the direction of her school and the route that her school bus would have taken every day. So she would have been kind of familiar with it, but she had likely never walked on it before and certainly not at night in a storm. Right. So, you know, she's familiar with the area, but... Riding somewhere in a car and walking it is very different. Yeah, especially as a child. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Between 3.45 and 4.15 a.m., a truck driver and a motorist saw her walking south along Highway 18, wearing a long-sleeved white shirt and white pants just north of its junction with Highway 180, and they reported this to police after seeing a TV report about her disappearance. The motorist said that he turned his car around because he thought it was, quote, strange such a small child would be out by herself at that hour, which is absolutely true. Uh, Yes. And he circled three times and saw her run into the woods by the roadside and then disappear. Since it was raining, the witness said that there was a storm raging when he saw her, so it was probably very easy to lose her. Yeah. Right. We think it's pretty clear that Aisha noticed the car circling, so she ran into the woods in fear, and it makes us think that it's unlikely that she would have taken a ride from a stranger at all, even if someone would have been able to approach her. Um, and it's also unclear if she made her way back to the road or if she just continued on into the woods. Right. So unsettling it's so weird and what what child would feel okay with being out in the dark in the rain like that I know I'm an adult and I would not feel okay with that I know and I mean 
the motorist obviously had was concerned because he sees this nine-year-old girl yeah out here walking at fucking 4 a.m in the rain in the rain in february without a winter coat yeah it's dark and he's circling like hoping to maybe rescue her Mm -hmm. but you know it sucks i mean on one hand it makes me think like now i know this is 2000 and cell phones were not prevalent right so he probably didn't have a cell phone he's probably like the what am i gonna do now right Mm -hmm. And he did make the tip at, like, I think the next day when he saw the media coverage or whatever. But still, you automatically think, why didn't you call police immediately? Like, hey, I just saw this girl walking. Right. But if you don't have a cell phone. But, yeah. You know. I get... You know. It's weird. It sucks. It sucks. But he did try. He circled three times. Yeah. That's That's a pretty significant effort. Yeah. Especially on a highway. Yeah, I'm thinking this is a two-lane. That's what I envision, is that this is a two-lane. But that would even, like, involve turning around and, like, off off streets or driveways, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. So, County Sheriff Dan Crawford said, quote, We're pretty sure it was her because the descriptions they gave are consistent with what we know she was wearing. And he also added... That they saw her at the same place, heading the same direction. So I think the motorist and the truck driver saw her within minutes of each other. Right. Because they made, both of them made the report that they saw her in that half hour time frame. Yeah. And it had to have been the same-ish area. Yeah. So at the news conference on February 22nd, Crawford said he was going to, that he was going long range with the search for Asia, and both the FBI and North Carolina's State Bureau of Investigation got involved and put her on their respective databases of missing children. While the agencies were done searching in the area of her home and the route that she could have taken, um, they said that they were following ev- everything. So, I feel like authorities acted pretty quickly to this situation. Yeah, and I think this is kind of one of those rarities mm-hmm. in the, I it probably because she's so young, they took it very seriously, but they responded to the initial call incredibly promptly within minutes. They were there. Yeah. And immediately wasted no time in starting the search, getting canine efforts, and they were very prompt through all of this. So, yeah. Um from Aisha's mom's account of what Aisha had taken with her, investigators believed she had planned and prepared for this departure over um the last several days. The SBI agent Bart Burpo, Burpo. I think Burpo said she's not your typical runaway. And another expert, Ben Ermini of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, noted that most children who run away are at least twelve. Yeah. I can't believe little kids run away. 
I know. I know. An FBI agent also pointed to the lack of an issue she might have been running away from, such as a dysfunctional family or poor academic performance. Still, investigators believed that she was most likely, that this was most likely the explanation for her departure, but that for some reason she either got off track or was abducted. Essentially, police never uncovered anything occurring within the Degree family that would have made them suspect that Aisha was running away from abusive parents or some other problems going on with the family because they seem very normal. Yeah. Yeah. I don't... They never... Obviously, police looked into them very heavily in the beginning. That They do that no matter what they have to and over the years they there's never been anything surface that would point to the family as the reason for her running away or as being involved right so the media attention went national and a month after her disappearance the degree family appeared on the montel williams show to call attention to her case and uh, America's Most Wanted and the Oprah Winfrey Show also picked this up and devoted segments to it. Yeah. So that, it, that's pretty good for a missing children child case. Yeah, because it's not every day that national media covers a local missing child. No, which is sad, but... It is sad, yeah. Okay. Now we're going to talk about some later developments. Um, on August 3rd of 2001 is when things take another weird turn. So Asia's backpack and other items were discovered during a construction project off of Highway 18 in Burke County near Morganton, about 26 miles north of Shelby. It was double-wrapped in trash bags, and the worker who found it said that the backpack contained Aisha's name and phone number on the backpack. Hmm. So, first of all, we have to point out the obvious. Aisha's backpack is found 26 miles north of her hometown, Shelby. That is a long fucking way. That's a long-ass way. So... Obviously, this is a significant dip distance if we're talking about this girl left on foot at nine years old. Yeah. But also, this is in the opposite direction that Aisha was seen walking by the two motorists who saw her. She was walking south toward her school on Highway 18. Weird. And then her backpack is found 26 miles north on Highway 18. So... This was, she was certainly not setting out in this direction. No. So there's that. Also, the construction that was going on is not like major construction like you're thinking. It's a residential situation. This man, homeowner, landowner, whatever, he was repaving his driveway and uh, found the trash bags that contained her backpack kind of buried where he was trying to like put the shit down that you do to pave some stuff. 
Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that goes, but that's what was happening. He finds the bag. Obviously, he opens it and sees the backpack, sees the name and the number. And he told police later that he really didn't think anything of it. He thought it was just trash, but still took it to his house. And his wife saw it and was like, hey, I've seen this girl on the news. Thank God. Thank God for the wife. And so she calls police and tells them and they come and pick it up. Um, so something strange and question why he would open the bag now, obviously, in hindsight, we're thinking, why'd you open the bag? You could contaminate evidence, but they're trash bags. He yeah, has no I mean, idea what's in it. That's not really someone's first thought when they find something. Yeah. It's like, oh, I should, probably shouldn't touch this so I don't contaminate it. Yeah. This probably is in connection with an actual crime, so. Yeah, that would honestly be a weird train of thought to have yeah. when finding something like a backpack. Yeah. Because then you would go and pick it up and be like, bro, why didn't you open this to see what was in it? Right. How did you know that yeah. what's in it is associated with a crime? Guilty knowledge. Yep. That's us. <laughs> so anyway, open the bags, people. But once you see it and it looks weird, that's when you can call authorities and you need to stop fingering stuff. Right. <laughs> um, and... Originally, authorities didn't actually reveal what was in the backpack, but they said, now this is like one of the weirdest things I've ever heard people say. They said that 90 to 99% of the items in the bag were Aisha's. How would they know that the other 10% are not hers? Well, I would assume they showed it to her family. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought that was their first thought. Like, well... This isn't hers. No, that's what they released to the public. Okay. They didn't, originally, they didn't tell anyone, like, publicly what was in it. This is what we're calling holdback evidence. Mm -hmm. They didn't say what was in the backpack. All they said about it was that 90 to 90% of the items in it were Aisha's. Okay. I just, how, first of all. How are you doing the math here? How do you know? <laughs> Did you just count the items and then do the percentage? What makes one... And the difference between 1% and 10%, I feel like is a lot. Oh, yeah. Especially when it comes to contents of a backpack. Yeah, because how much is in a little girl's backpack? Yeah, were there five things or were there 80 things? Yeah, because if there are five things, the difference between 1% and, five, and 10% is like a lot of shit. <laughs> yeah. That's a huge portion of what's in there. I don't... Yeah. So we're going to obviously revisit the backpack later, but... The shit... I just... That's information I got from the prosecutor's podcast, and they were also hung up on the 90 to 99%. Okay. Cool. Uh, obviously, the backpack was taken by the FBI to their headquarters for forensic analysis, and results from that tested testing has never been shared publicly to date. This is the last evidence that has ever been found. Damn, dude. Um, so this means that whatever they did or did not find is being is being held back. So s maybe some of those. 1 to 10% items 
have DNA on them. We don't know. Maybe the backpack itself has DNA on it. Hopefully. Fingers mm-hmm. crossed. So, uh, some of the contents of the backpack since then have been released. So, on the 20th anniversary of Asha's disappearance would have been 2020. Because mm-hmm. we can count. Barely. Uh, the FBI confirmed that the backpack contained a copy of a Dr. Seuss book called McElligot's Pool. I've, I've never heard of that one. Me either. I I didn't even bother to look it up. But uh, So they found a library book copy of McElligot's Pool. That's a really hard name to say. I gotta look up this cover. Um, and they also found a t-shirt that was a, like a tour t-shirt for new kids on the block. And neither appeared to have been her property before they were found in her bag. So I'm assuming that they showed her family and her family was like, no, I've never seen either of those things. And, uh, the book was actually from her school library, but Aww. records, so I'm guessing, because they found this in 2001, so they had the book and knew it was from Falston Elementary School in 2001. That book was banned last year. Oh, it's probably, there's probably some, like, racist-ass shit in there. Yeah. Yeah, that's... But... When I saw that it was banned, I was like, oh, well, that's why we've never heard of it. But it was just banned last year. Yeah. Still no. Yeah, I've never heard of it. But. Weird. Um, anyway, so the library book, when they went back to the school, after they found the book, they obviously looked in the records of, because you'd have to check them out. Right. This book was not checked out to Asia. But I didn't find anywhere that it said it was checked out to another student. So if it was checked out to another student and they just haven't released that student's name, then obviously that would have been an avenue for them to investigate. Like, why do you have this book that was checked out to this other student? What's up with this student's parents, right? Yeah. But none of that was... Uh, was in any of our sources, so I don't know. All we know is that she herself did not check out McKelligott's pool. Um, and the t-shirt was a New Kids on the Block tour tee. And New Kids on the Block was not exactly in their prime in the year 2000. No. So Asia was not out here going to see New Kids on the Block in concert. Right. <laughs> so it's not her t-shirt. And honestly... I doubt it was any of her, it wasn't any of her cousin's t-shirts because they didn't claim it. And I don't know that she really did a lot of sleepover situations with other kids who weren't her cousins. Yeah. Because she was a fairly sheltered kid, maybe with her teammates, but they probably checked with her teammates too. I You would assume. You would assume because... She spent most of her time either with her family or her teammates. Right. And the shirt has never been claimed. 
So she just has some rando New Kids on the Block t-shirt that was likely from the late 80s. So weird. Or early 90s. So that's weird. Um, there haven't really been too many leads in the case. Uh, most of them have kind of turned out to be dead ends. In 2004, the police were looking into a tip they received from an inmate in a county jail. Um, the tip gave them the, a location of where they thought or whatever that Asia's body had been buried, but police dug up this intersection at Lawndale and I think Highway 18, and they found bones there, but they were animal. Damn. So nothing ever came of that. And everything was quiet until February of 2015 when the FBI announced that FBI agents, Cleveland County, Cleveland County Sheriff's Office, and the SBI were re-examining the case and re-interviewing the witnesses. They announced a reward for up to $25,000 for information leading to arrest or conviction. And then the community gathered together and offering an additional $20,000 for reward. So up to $45,000 reward for information in this case. In May of 16, FBI again announced that their reinvestigation of the case had actually turned up a possible new lead. They disclosed that through a tip, it is thought that Asia could have been seen getting into a dark green early 1970s Lincoln Continental Mark IV or possibly a Ford Thunderbird from the, around the same time along Highway 18 near where she had last been seen. And um, this car is described as being dark green with rust around its wheel wells. Um, I looked at pictures of this car. Now, the names sound very different. However, the car looks very similar. But also Lincoln is made by Ford Motor Company. Right. So that makes sense, now that I've thought that through. Um, but I'm sure that someone... Anyone who would have witnessed this driving by on a highway at night in the rain could have easily not distinguished the model of this car. That's an old car to be driving around for when she disappeared. Yes, exactly. I mean, really old. Really old. So. I don't know. I'm just wondering if... Some people have stated that they don't think that this tip is authentic yeah that they probably didn't see Asia getting into this car but other people think that it's credible I don't know uh, uh. but she had I feel like she had to have gotten into a car at some point because yeah. her backpack ended up 26 miles north of where she was absolutely there's no way she would survive without being hurt traveling that far on foot by herself and not be seen by anyone else ever again right I, uh, yeah yeah that just it's impossible um september of 17 the fbi announced that the child abduction rapid deployment team was in cleveland Cl cleveland county 
to assist in the investigation and provide on-the-ground investigative technical behavioral analysis and analytical support to find out more about what happened to Asia. I don't need all of this jargon, people. Um, the a culmination of the agencies meet several times a month to go over latest in the investigation. Um, since September of 17, the investigators, local agents, FBI, all these people that are involved have conducted around 300 interviews. So they've interviewed like a thousand people in, in this case. That's a lot. That is so many because they investigated or interviewed 300 in the initial like right around 300. Now this is 300 more. There's probably been some in between then. So many people have been interviewed. I just, it's, a, it's so weird that not, that we don't have more information. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a lot of people to even come up with to interview. I agree. I don't even know 300 people. I probably don't know 300 people either. I mean, I probably, we probably do, but could you imagine them all standing next to each other? And having something to say about? Yeah, and having us having something to ask them about that involves the same thing? Absolutely not. Weird. I know. It's, yeah, that's so crazy. But anyway... Um, in October of 2018, the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office detective um, again appealed to the public for more information about the McKilligott's Pool children's book and also the New Kids on the Block t-shirt. Um, it seems pretty clear that these items are pretty important. Um investigators have asked for information on these items multiple times and they haven't gotten any hits on them. So the real question is how did she get these items? Could the shirt and book be evidence that whoever hurt her had also hurt other victims? And these were kind of all relics of different crimes. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. It's so weird. So, suspects. Mm. There aren't really a lot of them. Nope. Which you would think after interviewing a thousand people, there <laughs> might be quite a bit, but... Uh, no. No. So, of course, as we said earlier, the family is usually the first group looked at in a case like this. Um... Asia's dad, Harold, had a late night excursion for Valentine's Day candy, and that has raised some questions over the years, but whatever. Um, he actually requested to take a polygraph early on and passed it, and we think that her mom also took one and passed one as well. Right. After this, the family hasn't ever been considered involved in any way, and of course, we all know that polygraphs don't mean anything to us. But we still don't think that her parents harmed her at all. And there's just no evidence that support that theory. Right. We do have Donald Ferguson, though. He was arrested in South Carolina in 2014 
after DNA implicated him in the 1990 rape and murder of seven-year-old Shalonda Poole, and he was convicted of her murder. Police did look into him with... Police did look into him and his connection with Aisha's disappearance, but ultimately there was nothing linking him to all of that. In November of 2020, an inmate named Marcus Mellon, (laughs) who was convicted of sex crimes against children in 2014, wrote a letter to the Shelby Star claiming that Aisha was murdered and he knows where to find her. In 2021, Cleveland County Sheriff Alan Norman announced that Mellon's claims had led to another dead end and it isn't really clear if he is was actually suspected of being involved. Yep. With a name like Marcus Mellon, I feel like you're going to have to be known for something. Yes, and the Shelby Star did write an article about Marcus Mellon and the disappearance of Asia. And that is in our sources. So they do have, in that article specifically, they have a little um, quotation of exactly what he wrote to them about his knowledge of Asia's disappearance. So uh, check out that article if you want to read his word for word. Yes. So. All right, theories. The moment you have all been waiting for. Yep. Sleepwalking. No. I just, in all the research and everything, I just don't know why people even put this out there as an option. Listen, I have a sleepwalking child. He doesn't do it a lot anymore. But, and I know that sleepwalking can be severe. Mm -hmm. But they're certainly not taking things with them to prepare to exit a home. Right. And authorities have stated multiple times that they know that Aisha was preparing to leave for days in advance. Now, how they know that, aside from the packed bag and not waking up her brother trying to gather things, I don't know if there's other information that they're holding back that they know. I mean, that probably is part of it, but there's sleepwalking. It's It's just not not it. It's It's not it. No. And her parents have stated that she did not have a tendency to sleepwalk prior to this. So, yeah. You can't not be a sleepwalker and then one day be a sleepwalker that ultimately leads to your disappearance. And never being found. Yeah. So the next one is losing her basketball game. And we talked about earlier how the Saturday before she went missing, her team had a game and they lost after Asia fouled out. So she may have taken this loss really hard and shouldered the blame for losing this game. And some people have speculated that she either ran away in guilt or was possibly attempting to walk to her school to practice in order to make up for what she thought of as a failure. But. Now. The second part of that theory. Maybe. 
but not at, you know, two thirty whenever the fuck she left. No, right. It, it it seems more plausible that she would have left in order to go to school and practice than it does that she would simply run away. Right. Because of losing the game. But I also feel like if she wanted to go to school and practice, like, she probably could have talked to her parents about that and arranged extra time at school to use the gym. Right. Exactly. So, obviously, this one just doesn't seem like that likely to me either. No. I certainly don't think that she just randomly ran away because she lost a basketball game. No. That seems... Very dramatic, and I know that she's young, but even kids that age have some sort of logic to their brains. Yeah. I mean, I no. No to that. No, no to that. So we talked about how the FBI believed that she had been planning on leaving um, for at least a few days before she left. They, like we said, never gave a reason as to how they thought or knew that. But... The pre-packing of her things plays in here. It, of course, seems like there was a purpose for her leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, and like we said before, she didn't want to wake anyone up. So you get that shit ready. That way you can sneak out so you don't wake up your family. Right. Now, the storm also did not prevent her from leaving in the middle of the night which is very weird right because she's a child mm-hmm. i mean my kids aren't afraid of storms but they certainly aren't going to go out in a storm in pitch black night right because that's scary for a kid mm-hmm. i i don't even want to be outside in the middle of the night in a storm by yeah. myself i mean i don't want to also they said it was like rain like torrentially raining yeah so you're going to be soaked through in a minute. Seconds, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. It's just uncomfortable. Yeah. I would think that if this had been a whim and she had just was like, I'm running away today, that she could have gotten a few feet out of her front door, was immediately soaking wet and freezing cold, and she would have just been like, you know what? This isn't worth it. I'm going back home into my bed. Yeah. Her mom also said that she was afraid of storms. Right. So. Yeah. Her mom and a lot of people have described her as being also a pretty cautious girl and kind of shy. Yeah. So it just, it seems super out of character for her to do this. I mean, she's cautious and scared of storms, probably a little bit scared of the dark. She's nine. So most of the time, children who are nine years old are kind of scared of the dark, especially outside dark. Right. And alone. It's so, it's always, of course, very sad when you're talking about children missing or being murdered. But... Having a nine-year-old myself, I feel like it's extra sad just because at that age, like, they're little miniature adults, so, like, they are very aware of what happens around them, and I feel like they're on the brink of, like, having really good decision-making skills. 
especially when you come from a good family and have good parents who clearly care about them. And, like, just thinking about the panic that would go through Caden's mind if he decided to run away, but then, like, afterwards got really scared and didn't know how to get back home. Mm -hmm. That is so heartbreaking. It really is. It really is. And that's also, I didn't list that in the theories, but some people do talk about the possibility that she, after the guy in the car saw her and tried to turn around and rescue her and she darted into the woods, they were, um, there's speculation that she got into the woods and, um, got lost and then died of exposure. But her remains have never been found, which is always a real hang-up for me because, I mean, I know people's remains are found 30 years later, but it just seems so unlikely. Yeah, especially with all the searches they did. Yeah, and the canines searching, Mm -hmm. you know. It just seems so improbable that if she had gotten lost... And then died of exposure that they wouldn't have find, found her. Especially because the shed that they found, the candy wrappers, the picture of the unidentified girl and her hair bow, um, that shed was right off the highway. Mm-hmm. I mean, they the description is that it's a bit of a tedious trek from the highway to the shed because there's like a gully and it's uphill. Right. But... She clearly got there. So, I don't know. Maybe she got up there, spent the rest of the night in the shed, and then tried to find her way back and couldn't. Yeah. Or fell down. I don't know. That It's plausible, but I just don't feel like it's probable. Yeah. Agreed. The next theory would be that she has a secret pen pal that she was trying to meet. And I will say, at this time, 99, 2000, people had pen pals that they wrote letters back and forth with. I had one. My sister had a pen pal that came to visit us at our home. I never went and visited any pen pals and none came to my house, but I did have a pen pal for a while. He broke our trampoline. What a dick. Yeah. It was really ridiculous. Hmm. Um... This theory comes from the photo of the unknown girl, because this was clearly a professionally done photo. It was wallet-sized. We talked about it being a school picture. Um, You know, it wasn't a girl that went to Aisha's school. No one in the family recognized her. So how the fuck did she have this picture? Where did she get it? Yeah. So people are speculating that it was a pen pal, and it might have been an adult posing as a child and this was the photo that was provided to her and they could have convinced her to leave her house to meet them and then the person abducted her Mm -hmm. one of the holes in this theory is the risk of all of this would have been you know her parents intercepting mail right and photos being sent back and forth but Aisha did usually get home before her parents, so she could have got these first. But, I mean, it still seems very risky for an adult to be mailing things to a child's home, just hoping that no one caught it. 
Exactly. Especially because you're also thinking, like, this is an envelope. They've licked the envelope, so now their DNA is on it. Right. There's probably fingerprints. It's it's very risky. If this is if it was an adult, which let's be honest, it probably it is. Yeah. If this in this scenario, this adult predator, it's so risky. Yeah, absolutely. There also hasn't been anything found, um, like in her room or anything, saying that there were letters here. There's shit being sent back and forth. Now the next one. It's very creepy. Oh, yeah. Um, This theory is that she was groomed by a member of her church. In episode 226 of Missing, Tim and Lance have Alice and Brett from the Prosecutor's Podcast on to talk about Asia and her case. One of the theories that they discuss is that maybe a church member had been grooming Asia and persuaded her to meet them early in the morning on this day for a photo shoot. Mm, That feels so gross. And this could explain why she had several changes of clothes, including her jersey. And this could possibly explain the photo of the unknown girl. Um, They could have given this to her as like an example of the picture she would have after her photo shoot. Right. And she spends so much time at church that it wouldn't really be that difficult for a church member to discreetly slip this photo to Asia. Right. So they would not be worried about the parents finding it. Because it also seems fairly innocuous if the mom or dad would have found it in her room. They would think this is a picture of a girl from her school. Yeah. Because that's what you did back in the day. You traded wallets with your friends. Right. And you wrote like, BFF forever, right? Yeah, hags. I don't know what hags means. Have a great summer. Oh. I mean, I know it was February, but it could have been an old picture. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You just don't know. You just don't know. Um, it was also Valentine's Day and happened to be her parents' wedding anniversary. So the church member could have told Asia that they were doing the photos as a gift to her parents. Seems like something that you would say to a kid. Right. And, um, some also say it could have been a coach or someone else like that at her school, but none of the other parents associated with Asia's basketball team have come forward. Yeah, and usually in a scenario like that with, like, a coach is being inappropriate with one of the players, oftentimes it's not an isolated event. Right. So you would think if it had been a coach or teacher, another student or another teammate maybe would have said, hey, this coach was being weird to me, or I noticed this coach treating Aisha weird or whatever. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's it. Yeah. I mean, obviously, heavy speculation here because there's not a lot to go on. Heavy. But there's some weird shit going on in this case. It's a whole bunch of weird. It is because you can't really, like, really pick any direction to go with it. I know. I mean, I find the church member theory very compelling. Yeah. Because it requires the path of least resistance, right? It's like the Occam's razor situation, you know? It's the simplest explanation. Right. So it 
in all probability, it's the most likely. Mm. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's so crazy. But, you know, her family's still out here hoping that she comes home alive. Well, of course. Obviously. Which, you know, there have been some cases that have, in the last few years, where people are just found. Like, who am I thinking of? Uh, JC? Oh, shit. I just came across this name. Now I have to look it up because I can't even... I can't move on from this. JC Dupree, I think. Nope, that's not it. Fuck! Uh, JC Dugard. Yeah. She was missing. She went missing in 91. And uh, she was found in 2009. God damn. Alive. She was snatched off the street by a man and wife team. So, it happens. That's disgusting. It That's really the worst. So, But it's possible. So, Aisha could be alive somewhere... But thinking of her being alive also means you have to contend with the, all the probabilities that would come with that. Yeah. You know. The horrible life she's been living. Exactly. So, I mean, what's worse as a parent? You want them to, like, come home. Obviously, you want them to come back to you. But then you have to just know that what they've gone through for 22 years at this point is just the fucking worst. Mm, I don't want to think about it. Well, you are currently thinking about it because I just said it. <laughs> um, okay, so if you have any information at all whatsoever, we're going to obviously post pictures of Asia. There, the FBI has done, like, a time-lapse version of what she would probably look like at age 30. She's 32 now, but the age progression was done for age 30. Um, you can contact the Shelby Police Department, non-emergency line, at 704-484-6854. No, 6845. My dyslexia kicked in there. <laughs> um, you can fax them. At 704-484-6815, you can contact the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office at 704-484-4888, or you can contact the Charlotte FBI Office at 704-672-6100. And a description of Asia at the time she disappeared. She was, she is or was, I don't know how to say this. It's I weird, isn't it? Um, 
a black female, age nine. She was wearing her hair in pigtails at the time. She was possibly wearing a white nightshirt with a teddy bear on it, acid washed or white jeans, white size three Nike sneakers, carrying a Tweety Bird purse and a black backpack. She was four foot six inches tall and weighed around 60 pounds, so she's little. Um, if any of this is ringing a bell to you, please contact one of the numbers. Yeah. And we'll put those in our notes. Yep. Those numbers. We'll have all the things that you need to make a report if you have any information. Yeah. So just do it. You can report anonymously in any situation. Yeah. Like always. This. So if you're afraid for whatever reason... Just make it anonymous. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, after this, we hope you have a beautiful, bright, sunny-filled day. Yeah. You hopefully will um, follow this episode up with our episode on the Majestic 12. Yes. Because it's much more lighthearted and upbeat. Yeah. Matter of fact, listen to Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah, uh, Roanoke. That one's a funny one. Yeah, it is. So go back and listen to some of those uh, mystery ones after this yeah. depressing one. Um, so, obviously, Laura, what up for our artwork? Ariel, out here with the beats. Thank you. Yeah, thank You're you. You're awesome. And rate and review us. Five stars. Write a little review. We'd yeah. love to read it. We did get a couple new reviews. Yeah. Well, one of them was from me. <laughs> <laughs> but the other one wasn't. I don't know who it was. But it was a five star. It was a very beautiful review. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. You know who you are. Because obviously, if you've written a review, you know that you've done so. Yeah. Uh, so thank you. Yeah. If it was you, tell us. Yeah. You can click. Get your credit. Bro, get your credit. Yeah. We'll give you a hug in the near future or something maddie won't but i will emily will (laughs) (laughs) um so okay that's it all those things great thank you have a great week um and in the meantime please be kind and stay weird okay goodbye